morning, good morning, church. What a beautiful weekend, man. Praise God and just be together today and worshiping the Lord today. So glad everybody's here because this morning we're beginning a brand new series. I'm so excited about this series. We're launching this series today. It's called Come What May. Come What May. Now this series is based on the Old Testament book of Ruth. And sometimes people go, oh, Old Testament. All right, right, okay. It's not as exciting as the New Testament. But, but I gotta tell you guys, this is an incredible, incredible story. And you are just gonna be captivated and engaged in these next four weeks as we dive in to Ruth. This is like one of the greatest love stories of all time. And, and so guys, I know many of you had to watch a lot of Hallmark movies probably over the holidays. Sorry about that. But you know, you know, some of you, right, have been to chick flicks and everything else. All you need to do, right, is bring your wife or girlfriend to church during February. It's gonna be great because this is an incredible, incredible love story. I mean, it's just unbelievable, the plot twists that happen, the romance that happens. It gets a little spicy in chapter three. I'll just warn you, you know, in a couple of weeks, so get ready for that. But it is a lot that unfolds here, and it's going to be incredible, incredible study, and so I'm excited about that. Now, here's something else that's amazing about the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is only one of two books in the Bible that's named after a woman, okay? Anybody know what the other book is? Esther, good job, you guys, you're brilliant. Love it, love it, love it. Esther, so here's what I love, here's what I love. You know, some people get caught up in women in ministry or whatever else, but here's what God says. In Galatians chapter three, you know, verse 28, the scripture says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, we are all one in Christ Jesus, praise God. And God's saying all the way back in the Old Testament, I'm gonna use men and women for my glory. Men and women who are fully committed to me. Now here's the other part about Ruth. Right, not only is she a woman, but she is a Gentile woman. This is the only book of the Bible that has the name of a non-Jewish person. And I love that because here's Ruth a Moabite. You're gonna find out more about that today and what that means. But maybe you've been coming to church and maybe you kind of feel like you're on the outside looking in and you're kind of going, I don't know all this and people seem to know more about the Bible than I do. And hey, listen, God has a plan for you. And God wants to redeem and to restore in your life. God wants to use you in a mighty way for his glory. So this is a book for all of us. And I'm so excited about what God's going to teach us in this series because God has a plan for your life. And it's not an accident at all that you are here today. Maybe you feel like somebody invited you or you've been kind of coming for a little bit, but, but God brought you here today to hear from him. And God will speak to you through his word. So I hope you're ready. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to Ruth chapter one, Ruth chapter one, back in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some free Bibles for you in the back. Love for you to grab one and make it yours. Just put your name in it. But Ruth chapter one, maybe you've got a mobile device. You can access the scriptures on version. We'll put the scripture up on the screen as we kind of walk through uh, this chapter today. Uh, also, Ruth is back in the Old Testament, right? So you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua judges Ruth. And so it's right there, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings. That, that whole section right there is where Ruth is. Now here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Ruth is only four chapters, okay? And so we're gonna do a chapter each week. Now I know some of you, when you get a novel and you kinda wanna go read the end, you know, and you, you kinda like that, I'm, I'm just gonna encourage you, don't do that, okay? Just walk with us through the story these next four weeks because it builds. I mean, it just builds in a incredible way. Uh, Ruth chapter one's a little depressing, I'll just tell you that, but, but you know what? There's this hope that springs there at the end of Ruth one, but man, it just is unbelievable as you watch this unfold. 
So let's pick up here, Ruth chapter one, look at verse one. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So the day when the judges ruled. So the narrator, right off the bat, we don't know who wrote this. Maybe it was Samuel. Maybe it was a, a female, some people believe. But, but, but here it is. He says, hey, here's the setting. And it's the day when the judges ruled. So let me go back real quick and kind of set this up to where it is. So if you go back to Genesis, right? God created the world and God created man. And God created man for relationship with him. That's why you were created. But what happens there is man sinned, Genesis 3, right? So sin enters the world. You had a holy God, sinful man. But God didn't give up on them, just like God doesn't give up on us. Praise God for that. And so God called out a man named Abram. And he says, hey, leave your country, your people, Genesis 11 and 12, and go to a land I will show you. And I'm going to carve out a people for myself from whom I will bring the Messiah. And so Abram says, okay, in this journey of faith, and he comes over here to the promised land, and God begins to bless him and gives him a son Isaac and then Jacob. So you got the patriarchs there in Genesis. Well, after a little while, they head down to Egypt. And they're down in Egypt for a while, and then God sends a deliverer named Moses, and they exit out of Egypt. So the Exodus, that's the second book, right? Exodus. And they come back, and they're heading back to the promised land, the land that God gave to Abraham and to this people that he was carving out. And Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, God's telling them how to live in the promised land. God's meeting them in Mount Sinai, giving them the Ten Commandments, telling them how to be different because they were going to be different than all the people around them, that he was going to be their God. They come in Joshua. Joshua conquers the land and they come in the land. And then after Joshua dies, there's no king. So there's nobody kind of over the land and here they are living in the land, the land that God gave them. He drove the other people out so they have cities that they didn't build, houses they didn't build, vineyards they didn't plant. God gave them all of this, but many of them kind of just started to turn away from God. And Judges ends, if you want to turn kind of to the left right there, the last verse of Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it says, in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. Wow. Kind of sounds you know, familiar, right? In some ways. Well, it's that kind of setting that you see here in verse 1. So a man from Bethlehem, a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. All right, now when the listeners heard this, they're like, no, not Moab. I mean, oh, Moab, right? Here's this guy living in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem, right? That's Beth, house of bread. That's what it means, house of bread. And there they are in Bethlehem. Now, later on, there's gonna be some famous people that come out of Bethlehem, right? David, Bethlehem. Later on, Jesus, born in Bethlehem. So this guy's living in the promised land in Bethlehem, and there's a famine in the land, and he says, hey, we're out of here. We're heading to Moab. Now, Moab, they're the sworn enemies of the Israelites, if you go back to Genesis, I mean, Moab came out of an incestuous relationship. I mean, the Moabite people wouldn't let the Israelites pass through when they're coming into the promised land. So there was this tension, and God has said, don't go to Moab. And this guy says, hey, we're going to Moab. And the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephraimites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. So here's guy Elimelech. Now Elimelech's name means the Lord is king. 
And even though he had that name, he took off. And he went to Moab. Naomi's name literally means pleasant. It means pleasant. And you're going you're to really fall in love with her throughout this story. But here she is living off in a foreign land with her husband and her two sons. And then in three through five, a lot of life happens, I got to tell you. And it's hard. It says, now Limelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. Uh, back then, if you were a widow, I'm telling you, you just had no rights. As a woman, you, you needed a husband or you needed sons to take care of you. And so here she is in this foreign land. Her husband dies. And there's two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth. So these guys marry foreign women. They're not even supposed to, right? They're, they should be marrying Israelite women. And God has said, don't do that. But here they do. And they marry these foreign women. And after they had lived there about 10 years, I mean, this is 10 years of this woman's life, Naomi's life. After they've lived there 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Wow. I mean, I can't even imagine the grief and the hurt and the pain. She's in a foreign land. Her husband's died. Her two sons have died. And she has these two foreign daughters-in-law. And Naomi's just wondering, God, what happened? What happened? God, where are you? Verse six, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home. I don't know if you underline your Bible, but underline or circle, just look at that word, home from there. She's in this foreign land and she's like, I'm hearing God's doing things, right? In the promised land where that's where God's moving and working. I wanna go home. And with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And you read that, you're kind of like, really? I mean, she's kind of sending them back, then she's gonna be like totally alone but Naomi was doing what was best for them, right? She's like, okay, go back. You can, you're young. You can get married again. You know, you can go back to your mother's home. Go stay in Moab. And then she kissed them goodbye. And notice this, they wept aloud. You imagine these three women? The hurt, the pain, the fear. And they wept. And they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Now, back then, God had made a provision that, you know, if the, if the husband died, then it was his brother who had the responsibility to take the wife, his wife, his brother's wife, and to her family, he was responsible. And so Naomi's like, you know, I, I'm not gonna be able to have any more sons. You don't have anybody protect you. You don't have anybody to look out for you. Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. In verse 14, at this, they wept aloud again. 
Just the raw emotion, man. I mean, just pouring out. God, why? Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Again, I don't know if you underline, but man, just kind of mentally make a note of that. Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Little G. Notice that little G. To those pagan gods of Moab, she's going back. Go back with her. And then what follows here in verse 16 and 17 are two of the most powerful verses in all the Bible, I believe. And listen to this. Here's what Ruth says. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, capital G, will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely if even death separates you and me. Wow. The commitment, the loyalty, the love. Now, I gotta tell you, I officiate a lot of weddings and do a lot of weddings, and, and sometimes these verses are used at weddings. And that's fine, right? Because if you go to Genesis 2, 24, it says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That word cleave in Genesis is the same word here that Ruth clung to her. So, so if that was at your wedding or fine, that, that's okay, that's, that's good. But, but I want you to notice the context. It wasn't a husband to a wife. This is a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law. Now, I've done a lot of weddings, and I've never seen a daughter-in-law turn to her mother-in-law, you know, and make this kind of commitment right there. I mean, you just don't see that, right? You're like, the in-laws are over here, you know, and, and you're like, okay, we're getting married, leave and cleave, right? And here we go. But, but here she is, like, pouring out her heart, saying, Naomi, I'm with you. You're not going to be alone. I, I'm going with you. But I'm going with the God of Israel. I'm following him. He's my God. And, and, and if you really kind of dig into this, there was this belief back then that where you were buried, that's where you spent the afterlife. Okay, so, so she's saying, I'm going to go and I will die with you. I will be in this land. That will be my God. It's not just I'm going to be with the Moabites and the pagan gods. I'm with the God of Israel. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived at Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Now, look at this, a couple of things. One, there's still a lot of people in Bethlehem who didn't leave, <laughs> who didn't walk away, who didn't give up on God. And God provided for them. And all of a sudden they look up and here comes Naomi after 10 years. Can you imagine all the women are like, Naomi, Naomi. And she comes walking into the town square and everybody comes out of their homes and the whole city is stirred, it says. And she says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. She said to them, call me Mara, which literally means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Notice that word empty. Just kind of think about that word, underline that word. Why call me Naomi? 
The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Maybe you're here today, and man, you just resonate with that. You're just like, God, why? Maybe you're facing challenges or difficulties in your own life, and you're like, God, do you see? And God, do you care? Verse 22, so Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite. Notice the narrator, right? He doesn't just say Ruth. He kind of throws in there the Moabite, right? A foreigner, stranger in the land, her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. You can picture the scene, can't you? Town Square, Naomi, Ruth, all the women, men, other people around, and these two women just with their heads down. But the barley harvest was beginning, and it's not the end of the story. That's just chapter one. There's more to come, because our God is faithful. So if you're taking notes today, inside your worship guide, you can write down some notes, some things I really want you to get, just some life truths from chapter one. The first is this, the providence of God. The providence of God. It says in those days, right, when the judges ruled, and everyone saw fit to do their own thing, and, and sometimes we look at the world today, and we go, God, where are you? And it looks kind of crazy. There's chaos and, and wars and rumors of wars and all this. God, and, and here's what the narrator is saying. Is, Listen, God was always present. God is always present. Even back then, this thread of God redeeming and restoring his people. Even back then, God inviting people into the story. God saying, hey, I've got a plan for you and a purpose for you. God is always present. Notice the narrator never mentions God throughout the whole book of Ruth. But his presence is seen throughout the book. The mention of God comes between Naomi and Ruth, right? The Lord provided for his people. The Lord is with us. The Lord. Guys, listen, we will face challenges in our life. But God is still in control. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. Sin entered the world. There's decay in this world. And sometimes as Christians, we think, well, if I'm in Christ, everything is perfect in my life. No. Jesus went through struggles. Jesus went through hardships. Jesus went through difficulties. We are going to face them. But we don't face them alone. And God is at work. Romans 8, 28, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. And it says this, and we know. I love that. You know, Paul's writing the church in Rome. Guys, we know. I know you're going through difficulties. I know you're going through hardships. We know that in all things, God works God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Notice it doesn't say all things are good because they're not. And there's some really hard times, there's some difficult times, there's challenging times, man, that we face. But it says that God's at work. It says that God's not finished. It says that God is redeeming and restoring. And that leads us to this, number two. Remain with God. Guys, remain with God. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. This guy wanders off, right? Regardless of what comes, your call is to stay in the center of God's will. Your call is to hold on to God with everything you've got 
Elimelech wandered off. He chased after the world and it impacted his family. He got tired of waiting on God. You know, sometimes in our lives, man, we can fall into that same trap. The old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And in our times, there's, we just kind of start to drift away. We kind of start to move out from the things of God and go, you know what? Hey, I'm going to go over here to the things of the world. And, and God, I'm tired of waiting on you. And I'm, I'm going to kind of drift this way. There was an article in USA Today recently that said 66% of young adults, 18 through 22, are, are, have left the church or leaving the church. Now, later on in the article, it, it tells that, you know, many of them are coming back when, when they get married or they have kids or, or crisis in life. They come back for a foundation of hope and faith. But, but in that time, you know, it's like, am I going to drift? Am I going to walk away? Am I going to run after the world? Or am I going to remain in the Lord? Sometimes we can wander even in our marriage. Sometimes our mind starts to think about someone else or we kind of start to go down that path and we drift. We can drift in many ways. Sometimes we drift financially. When things are hard or tight and we make some dumb decisions that impact us or impact our family and we get tired of doing it God's way, you know, tithing. God, who has time for that? God, I can't do that. I got this. And we drift. And we run after things of the world. But listen, listen. Guys, your call and my call, the goal of your life is to stay faithful to God. You know, at the end of your life, my hope and my prayer for you is this, that you will hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not perfect, none of us are perfect. It's by the grace of God that we receive Christ. But our call is to be faithful. Do you know, even if you look at the Bible, this is real life, guys. Only one in three people in the Bible finished well. I want us to be people who finish well. I want us to be people who are running across the finish line and falling into the arms of Jesus and saying, yeah, I lived it all for you, God. Through the challenges and the struggles and the brokenness and through the hurt, through the pain, I want to be faithful to you. In John chapter 15, Jesus says over and over, remain, 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 remain. He's telling his disciples, guys, remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. You hold on to me. Sometimes it's hard. Habakkuk, it's one of my favorite prophets, this guy in Habakkuk chapter three, and he says this, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Can you say that? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'm trusting in you. If you're taking notes, number three. Number three is this. When we wander, God is always drawing us back home. Man, I love this about God, you guys. 
In verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home. Return home. You know, maybe in your life, maybe in your life you, you feel like you've wandered off at some point. Come home. Come home. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about grace and the goodness of God. Naomi came home. And we get to watch over these next few weeks how God redeems. And that's what this book of Ruth is all about. God redeeming, God restoring, God making things new. See, God, God doesn't waste any of our experiences. He'll ultimately use them for his glory. And one of Jesus' most famous stories, right, he told the story about a young man who, who comes to his dad. And, and this young man says, Dad, I'm tired of living in your house. I'm tired of living by your rules. I want my inheritance and I want it now. Dad, I wish you were dead. And what's amazing to me about that story is that, is that the dad gives him the money. I mean, we don't know if the dad had to go sell property or whatever else, but he, he gives it to him. And, and Jesus says the, the kid goes off and he lives in a wild living, man. I mean, he's like spinning it up. He's partying like a rock star. You know, he's doing all of this. He's got all these people around until the money runs out. And the money runs out. And all the people who he thought were friends take off and the kid's alone and he's broken. And he finds himself in a pig pen. Now any Jewish boy, this is like the worst possible place to be. And he's feeding these pigs and he longs to eat what the pigs are eating. And then Jesus says, but he came to his senses. <laughs> there came this moment he started thinking about home. He started thinking about his dad. And he says, I'm gonna go home. And he doesn't know if the dad's going to be mad. He doesn't know if the dad's going to reprimand him. He doesn't know what's going to happen because he's squandered all the money. It's all gone. But he starts the long walk home. And I love where Jesus says that the dad sees him from a long way off and the dad runs to him. He runs to him and he throws his arms around him. He just begins to kiss this kid who's muddy and messy and gross. And he's like, I love you. And the kid's like, hold on, I got this speech. And he's like, I don't want your speech. I'm just glad you're home. That's the God we serve. And in your life, man, if you begin to wander in your life, if you begin to go down a different path, different way, there's a God who's drawing you back and saying, come home. Come home. And then God redeems. Our darkest times can become the seedbed where God does his greatest work. And in our lives of hurt and pain, God can redeem and use it for his glory. Number four is this, find your identity. Find your identity in God. When Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. For Ruth, this is her defining moment. This is her putting a stake in the ground. God, I'm with you. I'm with you. Ruth is committing. She's a Moabite, but she is committing her life to follow the God of Israel. I'm with you, God. I'm with you. Ruth is making a commitment not to just Naomi, but to God. Can you imagine that scene, though? Can you imagine? Here's Naomi and Ruth standing there and all the people around and, and you gotta, you gotta just imagine, I mean, Naomi is broken, she's embarrassed, she's scared, but can you imagine Ruth 
being in a foreign land with people she doesn't know who are sworn enemies, and yet she made a commitment. And now she's there, and she's standing there, and she hears Naomi say, hey, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter, because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, Naomi says, but the Lord brought me back empty. And if you're Ruth, you're just like, what? I'm less than empty. I'm like nothing. Guys, your call and my call is to find our identity in God. We're strangers in this world. We're foreigners, you know? And we can't let the world define us. We let God define us. And Ruth says, I've made a commitment to the Lord. Come what may. Even if Naomi turns back, I'm standing with him. I was talking to a dad in our church the other day, and um, he's got a daughter who's in elementary school. And he was telling me about tucking her in and praying over her, and then he said, you know, how's school going? Some of us can relate to this. All of a sudden, she just broke down, started crying. And she's like, Dad, there's this girl at school, and she just, she just hates me. And I don't know why. I haven't done anything to her. She bullies me, and I don't know. I just, I don't know. And she's crying about this elementary school. And then she says, well, I guess I know why she doesn't like me, because I don't even like me. And his dad, you know, his dad is heartbroken. But then this dad did an amazing thing. His dad in our church, he just looks at her, and he says, hold on, hold on, hold on. You don't let her define you. You let God define you. And God made you, and there's nobody else like you. And listen, God loves you, and I love you. And you are forever mine. And I want you to know you are loved. You are loved. And I want you to say it right now. I just want you to say you're loved. You're loved. Guys, listen, the world's gonna define us. They're just gonna try. It's gonna say, hey, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't know enough. You know, this or that. Listen, don't listen to that. Listen to what God says. God says you are redeemed. You're restored. You are his. You are new. You are loved. You are a son or a daughter of the king of kings and lord of lords. And you find your identity there. Come what may, you find your identity there. And then the last one, number five. Number five. Understand that God is not finished with your story. Understand that God is not finished with your story, but Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Food coming to Bethlehem, new life, new growth. You see, where there is God, there is hope. Where there is God, there is hope. And in your life, man, whatever's going on, listen, there is hope. Always recognize the sovereignty of God. That God is a big God, that God is sovereign, that God's in control, that God is for you, that God is writing a greater story. And whatever has happened in your life, just know that God is not finished. Write your name with me. God's not finished with you. There's still breath in your lungs for a reason and for a purpose. Your heart is still beating for a reason and for a purpose. God still has a plan for you, just like he had a plan for Ruth, and just like he had a plan for Naomi, and the best is still to come in your life. 
Yes, the best one day in eternity as we spend eternity with God is going to be awesome and incredible. But I believe every day with God, God's got a plan and God's got a purpose. Hold on to him. Listen to what God says in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. He says this. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Guys, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life or in your heart. Maybe you're here and you just kind of relate to Naomi. It seems like life has been hard or bitter. Maybe you're going through a crisis right now. I know there's people in our church who are dealing with cancer and financial struggles, but listen, listen, listen. God is with you. He hasn't left you. Hold on to him. Remain in him. Maybe today you're like Ruth. It's just a defining moment for you. Maybe today it's like I'm putting a stake in the ground. I'm sticking with God. And come what may, I'm gonna follow him. I'm gonna trust him. Maybe today is a day you just say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I've sinned, I've messed up. I've been a foreigner, I've been an outsider, but today, God, you're drawing me in. Maybe today you say, I wanna be baptized, I wanna put a stake in the ground, or I wanna join the church, be in a community. I wanna be a part of what God is doing. Whatever happens, I'm his. You are loved. And God's not finished with your story. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you are today in your life. I don't know where you are today in your marriage. I don't know where you are today as a parent. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know this, God is here. And I know God's not finished with you. Maybe in your life, if you've wandered off, this is the time to come home. Maybe in your life, if you've been finding your identity in the world and what other people say about you, today is the day to put a stake in the ground and say, God, I believe I am who you say I am. And I'm redeemed. I'm restored. I'm being made new. That God, you've got a plan for me and a purpose for me, and I may not be able to see it right now, but God, I'm holding on to you. God, I'm holding on to you. So Father God, here we are, your disciples. And Father, you said in this world we will face trouble. But you also said to take heart because you've overcome the world. And so this morning, God, we just come to say our faith and our trust is in you. And we will cling to you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. You are my God. And so in the hard times, I will worship. In the good times, I will worship. Through the fears, through the struggles, I'm gonna stand with you, God. I'm putting a stake in the ground on this day that I am forever yours. I want you to spend some time with the Lord this morning and respond back to him. And let's commit to live our lives all of our days.
to be faithful.